Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. You are here with your host, Auntie Vice. And today I have a great resource. I connected with Tracy Whitmore. She is a registered social worker and she's based in Canada, but she's worked in multiple countries and she's got these amazing resources for parents of LGBTQ youth. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Auntie Vice. I'm so glad to be here. It's great to have you here. So we connected when you sent me a guide for how parents can talk to queer youth. And that's kind of a specialty when it comes to social work and therapy is you work with the the adults in the the kid's life to create a supportive network, which is critical. So how did you get into that? Yeah, so I worked for many, many years with queer youth uh, back in Australia. And um, what I found was there was a really huge gap in relation to specialised focused uh, therapy or counselling or coaching for their parents. And so I would have parents reaching out saying, I know you're there for my kid or my child, but do you have any suggestions on where I can go? And at the time there wasn't much happening and even where where I was, there wasn't even peer groups at that point. And I know that's Um, available these days there are some fantastic peer groups out there but obviously their resources are limited and it's not a therapeutic or coaching approach it's it's the peer support so I was able to see the difference in young people's lives in their their responses in the world so their their um, connection to school their connection to family all of those things after just providing a little bit of support to parents so that they could better understand their child and their own emotions and their own experiences around their child coming out. Having an out kid, like my parents had to go through that 30 some odd years ago. And mm-hmm. it's very much changed now because my my partner in crime and the audio producer for this podcast, his daughter is exploring the queer community and it's vastly different being a parent. So in the last few years, what have you seen? The How are parents coming to you? Is it still, oh my gosh, I'm still ashamed of my kid or I have you know issues around my kid being LGBT or has the have the issues for parents changed in what in your practice I think in in my practice it hasn't changed as much because I mean the truth is that parents that are completely ashamed and really wanting their child to be different are not the ones that are reaching out to me sadly though they are very welcome to and I would love to support them through through working through that it's it's more parents that are having some challenges so it might be around 
um, aligning with some of their beliefs and values. So they might have a bit of conflict going on there. It might be, you know, all the way to really supportive and understanding parents, but they just don't know how, how to go about you know, having the conversations, they don't know, you know, um, the up-to-date language or they're really just worried about their child's well-being. And, and it's got to be scary to have a kid coming out if because most parents don't think about, oh, I'm going to have this beautiful baby and they're going to grow up and be gay. Like, yeah. but we, you know, when you're pregnant or when you're adopting, that's generally not something you're thinking about. So if you're a parent and your kid says, hey, mom and dad, I think I might be, you know, LGBTQ. What What's your first response to parents? Of how, how should they respond to that information? How should they take that in, regardless of what their beliefs are around the, the queer community? So my, my encouragement, if I manage to speak to parents before their child comes out, which mm-hmm. isn't overly common, but, but my, yeah. um, my, my advice straight away would be to, to thank them. For sharing, because the the most important thing for parents, I think, to understand in that moment is that's a pretty scary time. No matter how liberal or how supportive or open they think that they are, it's still a really scary time for kids to share with their parents. So thanking them for for sharing and letting them know that this new information doesn't change how they feel. They still love them. They will still be there for them. They will still support them. And then I think, you know, it, it does then come down to how, how they feel. And so they may need to ask for a little bit of time to learn more, to process their feelings, that kind of thing. And it's okay for a parent to say, you know, I was not prepared for this. I will continue mm-hmm. to love you and support you, but I need a beat to figure this stuff out. And that that won't like irreparably damage your, your gay kid. Yeah, no, I think that's it's important to be... Honest, I talk about in my book, I talk about being finding that balance between being honest and also not not kind of projecting or dumping your stuff on your child. So it is absolutely important to say, you know, I wasn't, like you said, I wasn't expecting this or I will need a moment to work this through. And it's also really good to name a time where you can come back to that conversation so that your child's not just left because in that moment, five minutes feels like a decade for them. So, you know, let's talk about this again on Friday night. Let's go out for pizza on Friday night and talk about this a little bit more. And then that gives parents a bit of time to regroup and find their feet and figure out what steps they're going to take. It doesn't mean that they're going to have it all worked out by Friday night, but that way their child can say, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Or they can say that's not necessary. <laughs> like, well, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Um, so it depends on the relationship, depends on the child, depends on their age often, you know, that kind of thing. But always keeping the the conversation open is really important. What I've noticed with teens a lot more, and my, my friends who have teens, is that before your own child will come out, they'll have gay friends and they're like, this is my friend, you know, Bill, and he's gay, or this is my friend, Amy, and they're non-binary. So these are their pronouns. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there, th- are there ways parents can react when your child who you were still under the impression, maybe heterosexual brings home friends who are gay? 
what you do? How does your child interpret what you do? Yeah, so they will be scanning for sure. They'll be scanning for your response. So the, the spotlight is on you in those circumstances for sure. So being open, being welcoming, making sure that you don't actually treat that friend any different to any other friend that they've brought home. So making a huge fuss about it is almost as bad as, you know, getting their pronouns wrong or something because, I mean, it can get awkward and uncomfortable. It's not as bad, but it's it still shows your child that you're not comfortable. So my advice to parents in that circumstance would be treat them the same as you would any other friend. Be open, be welcoming, be supportive. Make sure if if they are non-binary or trans, make sure you get their pronouns right. Make sure that um, if you've got any questions about, about that, you can ask your child. One of the things that I I really reinforce with parents is don't make your child your educator. But if they're bringing home a friend and it's so it's not as far as you know yet, it's not about them, you can ask them some questions. Being curious, being interested is is always really helpful. Um, it sends a really clear message to your child that you're okay and if they do decide to come out, that you're going to cope. You're not going to self-implode or, you know, I mean, worst case, kick them out of home or, or any of those kinds of things. And also you can use that as an opportunity for open conversations and, you know, find ways to reinforce with your child that no matter what, you'll always love them so that they can see a window of opportunity if that is the case for them. It's, it's also important to realise that not every Every kid that brings home a queer friend is is going to be queer themselves, but they they do you know hopefully we, you know, we hope that they find their tribe and that's why they connect with other queer kids. One of the things that a lot of parents have expressed, you know, that I've heard through conversations and such is right now, you know, around the the world, the the queer community is under attack. Um, in the U.S., it's incredibly. Uh, violent right now, but it's happening in quite a few other countries. And parents are scared that if their kids come out, it's going to set them up and make them a target. So mm -hmm. how do you talk to your your gay kid about the the realities of the world without making it as terrifying as it really can be? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, you're right. It's really difficult. And I, and I guess for more for the trans community, at the moment as well, um, and obviously parents. It's important to be honest, like let's not pretend because your kid's not silly, they, they've got ears and eyes, but we we need to make sure that we're not projecting our own fears onto our kids. So keeping check of your own fears. And so I encourage people, that's why I encourage parents to get support. And often, you know, prior to their child even getting that support, because well, when you're doing well, your child's going to do, do well as well, or they've got a better chance of doing well. And this is a perfect example, because if you're petrified of your child going out in the world as an openly trans or, or LGBTQIA+, plus, um, but specifically trans at the moment, then they're going to feel that. And if their parent is petrified, then 
they don't really have a lot to kind of grab hold of to feel kind of safe. So one of the things that I reassure parents is when we have, when we provide an open, loving, supportive environment in the home where where your child can be 100% themselves and know that they're unconditionally loved, then that is going to set them up in the best way you possibly can to manage anything in the outside world. It builds their resilience. It builds their confidence within themselves. They know they don't have to hide themselves or pretend or, you know, um, fight with their parents to get their pronouns right or, you know, any of those things. Then they've got a safe haven. They can come home, feel safe, feel loved, feel supported. And like any of us, it gives them an opportunity to recruit. The other thing is having open conversations about what their fears might be. So, you know, checking in with them regularly around how they're feeling. So when when I say not projecting, so we're not starting the conversation of what are you scared of when you go out in the real world? (laughs) But like, how are you feeling? I know there's been a lot in the media lately. You don't need to um, go into detail about it. But I know there's been a lot on in the media lately. I know politically it's it, it's it's a little bit concerning at the moment. How are you feeling about it all? And then offering them an opportunity to talk about it if they want to. One thing so many parents worry about, I've never met a parent who doesn't worry about this, is um, <laughs> they're going to do something to permanently screw up their kid. Yeah. Right? And and the the best summary I've heard is parent is just, being a parent is feeling like you're in a constant state of failure. So, <laughs> yeah. And I don't think most people are prepared for that when they decide to have kids, right? You don't think, yeah. now I'm going to just feel completely short of what I need to be for the rest of my life. <laughs> so for parents, how do you deal with that feeling of anything I do at this point is going to completely damage my child because this is new territory for me and nobody prepped me for it? Yeah, such a great question. So a lot of the work that I do, and and I've included this in my book as well, is really supporting parents to work through their own expectations that they had on themselves as a parent, what their hopes and dreams were for their child, what the way they view themselves as a parent. And we start from there. And bust any myths or really do some check-ins around the unrealistic or unreasonable expectations. And the other side of it is working through how do we communicate? So we work through communication so that I guess you're reducing the chance of breaking your kids. But also, you know, like let's give your kids some credit. They're not that fragile. If you are doing your absolute best to be loving and supportive and making sure that you're on a journey to learn, like continuously learn, continuously work to understand your child and their experience, you're being curious and interested in their life and and keeping conversations open, then a mistake that you make is not going to break them. When, When we do make mistakes, like in any other area of our life, make an apology say like a genuine authentic apology but make it brief don't don't make them um have to feel like they have to make you feel better because because you're devastated that you've made this mistake but you know we can 
make that quick apology, adjust, you know, correct yourself, whatever needs to happen, and do better next time. One of the big fears, too, of a lot of parents with LGBTQ kids is suicide because youth suicide mm, is much yeah. higher yeah, yeah, in this population. And how do you watch to make sure your kid, because, you know, most of the time they're not going to come and say, mom, dad, I'm feeling awful and, and depressed and everything. Mm-hmm. So as a parent, what do you watch for to make sure your kid's getting the support that they need and are not spiraling down in depression? Yeah, I guess at, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, communication, communication, communication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keeping that open is really important and not relying on your child to come to you with the information because that's it, it's so hard to start that conversation. And you're right, they're, they're often not going to come to you and say, hey, I'm feeling this. Um mm-hmm. But keeping keeping an eye on so so generally around suicidal ideation and that kind of thing, you'll notice some differences in behaviours. But let's face it, we notice lots of differences in behaviours in in teenagers or in kids, you know, regardless. But noticing, paying attention to anything that might be different and checking in with them, asking them how they're going, what's going on in their life, and you know. Uh, being mindful not to get too creepy because you're also they want to have some privacy and you can name it I'm noticing that you're spending more time in your bedroom how are you going is is there something is there something bothering are you finding something tough the other thing that I think is really important if parents are having concerns around suicide is to actually have conversation about suicide and use the language I I literally just had a conversation with with a parent not that long ago about this and guided them through having the conversation with their child so that their child would feel safe enough and open enough to have the conversation parents often worry about if they talk about suicide or the the um, chance of self harm, or or them killing themselves, that they're going to plant the idea in their head. That is not going to happen. That is not how it works. We we don't we don't change our mind about our life because someone mentions a word. But if you are able to use the language, the open language around suicide, um, and have the conversations with them. They then know that you're a safe person to talk to. They know that you can manage because most kids, look, from my experience, most kids worry about burdening their parents with their worries. So I don't want to talk to my mum about this because I don't want to upset her. I don't want to stress it. She's already stressed or my dad's already stressed. I don't want to bring this up with them because it'll stress them out. They've got so many other things to worry about. So keeping in mind that your child's not going to want to want to burden you then when you have that conversation with them it's it's important to to kind of think about those things the other thing that I feel is really important is to not when I say use the actual language we don't want to use language um people tend to tippy-toe around the word suicide and self-harm because they're scared if we say things like, which is common, like, oh, you're not thinking of doing anything silly, are you? So what you're then saying to your child is, 
if you're struggling and you're you're having thoughts around suicide, then that's silly. So it's kind of putting shame on on the idea of people struggling. So, and I just want to say though, if if anyone's ever said that before, I've said it. Everyone says it. It is it is a way that we speak when we're scared of the topic of conversation, when we're trying to avoid planting the seed. Um, but but it's important to use that language. So if you've said it before, don't give yourself a hard time. But in the future, be mindful to to ask outright. Well, and this is the point where having a therapist, if you're a parent with an LGBTQ kid, having a therapist who specializes in this becomes particularly important, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. you're you're seeing things and you understand this differently than therapists who are not trained in it. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the the experience as well. Like, you know, one of the things that I find really helpful is that I've worked with so many, hundreds, probably thousands of young people. So I've got such a range of experiences. You know, everyone's experience is different. So I can draw on a whole whole um, range of young people's experiences when I'm working with parents. And the same, I suppose, when I'm working with parents, I've worked with a lot of parents. So I can... I've, I've been exposed to, I think that's the, the word I'm looking for, being exposed to lots and lots of different experiences that people have. So, you know, we've we've worked together to come up with different strategies. We've worked together to learn how to have these conversations, find out what works well, what doesn't work well. And you're only going to get that if you've worked with parents in multiple situations because yeah. when you're a parent, you're a parent to your child or your children. It's mm-hmm. not like you've parented thousands of children. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> having somebody who's been able to see how it works in different cases is really useful. And getting the feedback from young people too as well, like them t- them sharing with me, you know, all of like their experience with their parents and how different things their parents have done or not done have impacted them, I think has been really valuable as well. Yeah, and it's something that, Parents can only tap into if they find somebody, a therapist, a coach with that experience. Yeah, yeah. So one of the other hard things that can be really hard for parents to talk about is sex. And mm-hmm. if you are not LGBTQ yourself, understanding sex in that realm and in a way you can have those appropriate conversations with your kids yeah. at an age-appropriate level is tricky. So where do you begin to find out this stuff? Because if you Google gay sex or lesbian sex, the the internet is a dark, horrible place at that point. So where do parents start to learn about this? Yeah, yeah. And and look, the reality is there's not a lot of resources out there for for parents to, or or for for young people. I mean, it's it's a bit of a, a epidemic that young people are using porn to get their sex education and that's all young people and porn whilst you know it might be okay for some people it's not a place to get your education around what's okay and what's what what your partner may or may not enjoy or you know healthy relationships or respectful relationships it doesn't teach any of those things so what i say to parents is don't pretend that you know, you know stuff, or don't pretend that it's the same as straight sex because clearly it can't be 
all exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But you can talk to different queer like sexual health organizations you can get information you can talk to some sex therapists specialize in queer queer sex so it's I think when we can have again open conversations and help guide your child so parents talking to kids about sex is awkward at the best of times but what we really want and need is that kids know that it's not a shameful experience it's not a shameful thing to do and so if they can they're they're not likely to come to their parents for the detail on how to do it but parents can learn from from those areas that I, I said or they can do some research with their child around finding some places where they can reach out and talk to people, help vet some of the the um, resources that are out there so that they're getting accurate information and making sure, again, like I said, that there's no real shame or or guilt kind of attached to to having these conversations it's also important for parents to know that you you don't have to have all of the information you don't have to have all of the answers you can just be supportive of your kids and I would say what's more important is talking about healthy relationships talking about consent talking about protecting yourself from any and all SDIs making sure that we don't have assumptions around, for example, if you have a daughter who comes out as gay or lesbian or any other label that implies that she's not going to be intimate with with a biological male, don't assume that she doesn't need information about protecting herself from getting pregnant because I I once read, and I can't tell you where because I can't remember, it was like (laughs) 10 years or more ago, but I did once read that um, unplanned pr- pregnancies in in girls that identify as lesbians is higher than girls who identify as straight. And there's lots of reasons for that, and we don't have to go into that right now, but right. let's not make assumptions about what what your kids may participate in in mm-hmm. response to a label that they've shared with you. Yeah, my my father had that exact reaction as I came out of, as bisexual at fourteen, and he's like, "I was so grateful that you weren't going to get pregnant." And I thought, "Dad, that's not what that means at all." But I'm not <laughs> going to inform you. <laughs> like, yeah, as a fourteen, yeah. I was not ready to have that conversation. But his assumption immediately went, "Oh, good, you're not going to get pregnant." And I'm like, mm. "Okay." That you made a really good point then too when you said. Um, as a 14-year-old, I wasn't prepared to have that conversation. And that's something that parents, I really hone in with parents on. Your child, particularly if they're, they're a teenager, may seem like they really don't want to have the conversation because there might be some truth in that. They may seem like they're not listening. They may kind of grunt at you or, you know, push you away or, or whatever. But know that those important conversations are still important and that information is going in their ears. And even if they're super uncomfortable and telling you that you're being ridiculous and go away and don't don't talk to me about that, 
it doesn't mean that it's not important information to share. And that's where we have to step up as the adult, the responsible adult in their life, not be different as such. Like, okay, I'm going to be that annoying parent that I know you don't want to have that conversation. However, I need you to have this information. And, you know, and then providing them with some resources where they can find out some more information themselves. Yeah. And I love your point about talking about healthy relationships and consent, because that's mm-hmm. consistent across all genders and sexualities. Absolutely. Yeah. Is to be able to tell your kid, okay, so this is what it looks like when it's a good relationship. This is bound, this is how you set boundaries. Mm-hmm. So another challenge that comes up when you're parenting an LGBTQ kid is you're seeing an unhealthy relationship pattern. And your child's response is, well, you just don't like them because I'm gay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's, they don't, they, they think you're making an excuse, which can be really challenging to say, no, I don't like it because you're doing X, Y, and Z. So how as a parent do you begin to, to break down that? I'm fine that you're having a relationship with somebody of the same gender or whatever, but I'm not fine with how they're treating you. So how do you make yeah. that distinction yeah. to your kid? Well, I think the the groundwork needs to be done prior to the, to that situation. So, you know, making sure that they know you're sending all of the different indicators that you're okay with with their their sexuality. I think that's that's probably the most powerful and most valuable way. The other thing I want to point out though is that what you're saying there I think can be transferred into any situation. So, you know, it can be you just don't like them because they have they're not in the right job. Or you just don't like them because they said this to you the first time you met. Or you just so what we're going to do in relationships that are not healthy is we're going to if if we have someone telling us all the time that it's not healthy, get out change something, do something different, they're a bad person, what we do is we go into defensive mode and we then are putting all our energy into protecting that person because usually there's some feelings there and so we want to protect them. We're going to defend them. We're going to defend ourselves, protect ourselves from that. So if if your child is constantly having to be in in protective mode or or defending themselves in the relationship or or their partner to you then they're not going to be able to have open conversations with you about some of the difficult things that are happening in the relationship they're also it kind of taints their own lens so it makes them focus on what's good about them and not and, and try and push aside or rebut or make excuses for or justify mm-hmm. the bad behaviours or the problematic behaviours. So what what I would say to parents in that scenario, like regardless of whether it's the sexuality side that, that the child's saying it, um, I would just say that it's important to be open and supportive with your child in that relationship. You don't have to like it. And you don't have to really pretend that you love the person and you love that they're in that relationship. You can have one conversation and let them know that you're you're concerned and, and maybe gently explain why you're concerned. 
and follow that up with I'm here for you at any time if you want to talk about it. Because if we're constantly saying, oh, see, I told you, <laughs> you know, that's it's, it just doesn't make it a, a, an opportunity or a, or a space where they can come and see you. And that I know is so much easier to say than it is to actually do. So, again, I would encourage you to get some support around that, whether that's a, a good friend or a family member or your partner or whether it's a professional Keeping in mind that we need to look after our child's privacy as well. So we can't be just going off and speaking to our friend about this, <laughs> you know, your child's relationship and all the, the private information that you might have because you're their parent without, you know, some consideration from their privacy for their privacy. So it, it is important to protect their privacy on a, in a lot of ways, but also you need to have a, an avenue to talk it out. And and maybe, you know, if you're speaking to a professional, you'll be more inclined to be able to get some strategies on specific situations that are happening within that dynamic. Um, and, yeah, does that, does that answer your question? It does. It does. And, and I think you have some wonderful suggestions. And, in just allowing that space and not putting the focus on all the negatives because I, I saw it happen in my own house. My sister was dating a very abusive boy when she was in high school and my parents kept pointing that out. And so she, she did exactly what you say and defended him. Mm -hmm. So to have somebody you can talk to who can help you with strategies with that is, is critical because again, this is not there's not a lot of resources you can find on your own as a parent that says in your specific situation, this is yeah. how you, these are some strategies to use. Those tools only come when you can talk to somebody who really understands that parent child relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, what, what your, your child needs is an open door when they've realized themselves, hang on a minute, this relationship's abusive. It's no good for me. How do I get out? If they've been fighting with their parents because their parents have been telling them all this time that it was an abusive relationship, how do they then go, oh, you were right. <laughs> now can you help me? You know, that's that's a really, really big ask for someone to be able to do that. The shame, the embarrassment, the guilt, the discomfort is, is going to be huge. So it can actually um, hinder their ability to get out of the relationship and, and push them more more entrenched in it and which is if in an abusive relationship that's exactly what the abusive person in the relationship is looking for for them to be isolated from their loved ones yeah and teenagers hate to admit their parents were right just on anything oh, yeah. <laughs> i think i don't know if we grow out of that <laughs> i think it definitely starts in our teens or tweens they, they're saying now but yeah, it, it's a big thing to admit that you're wrong, though, isn't it? It's yeah, it is. really hard, and especially to say that your parents were right and you were wrong. You may have known something there, Mom. Like, I, <laughs> uh, all the teenagers I've known, I can't see any of them saying, Mom, you were really right on that when they're in their teenage years. They may do it in their late 20s, early 30s, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they have a kid of their own. But yeah, it's, it's not something that, that comes easily. 
No, so that's a good point. Creating, you know, like to add on to what I was saying, it create opportunity for them to for their for their behavior or their actions to be responsive to you were right without them having to say, oh, you were right. I was wrong. So trying to create little kind of windows of opportunity where they they don't have to actually admit that you were right and they were wrong. <laughs> so another thing that will happen in the teenage, I'm an Ericksonian by training. So the whole identity phase, yeah. you know, starts yeah. happening sometime in the teenage years. So how as a parent do you move from, well, this must just be a phase to recognizing that your kid is trying on different identities if they change mm. their 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 identity around sexuality. How do you manage yeah. that as a parent? Great question. It's one of the topics that I cover in, in my book and in my programs because it's such a common, I think, you know, it's, it's a common assumption. I think it's also a common hope from parents that this is just a phase. And that, you know, we we normally connect that to teenagers. But, you know, I've, I've worked with parents whose kids are adults, you know, in their 40s, who and the parent thought this is a phase in, in response to a, an ugly divorce or in response to, you know, something else that's gone on in their life. So it is a topic to really kind of work through with parents around whether or not it's a phase. My response is straight out, what if it's not? So I can't say for sure whether something is a phase or not. But what I will say is what if it isn't? How do you want to respond in that situation, keeping in mind that it may not be a phase? The other thing is, and what if it is? So if it is a phase, how do you want to respond? How do you want your relationship with your child to be? So if we look at sexuality or gender identity and the parent is like, I'm sure it's a phase, and, you know, we, we, can, we can go with it may be or it may not be. If it is a phase, what's going to happen if you support your child? They are going to work through it and they're going to come out the other side wherever they end up, but they're going to do it in a, in a healthy and supported way. And it'll come to fruition, however it ends up, in its own time. If it is a phase and you're telling them it's a phase, you're not this, you're not that, you're not, you're wrong, it is just a phase, then what are they going to do? Particularly if they're teenagers, they're going to rebel and they're going to push and they're going to fight and they're going to work harder to prove you wrong. So that then means that they're not able to take the time and the energy and the space to work through what they're experiencing because they're too busy fighting you and proving you wrong. So therefore they've got to do all of these things and force themselves to think things and, and whatever just to prove you wrong. So you're taking away your child's opportunity to work through that phase if you just tell them it's a phase and minimise it or, or, or argue with them that they're wrong. The flip side is it's not a phase and if you're not supportive, then, you know, I've seen plenty of families 
relationships break down. And I think we've all heard the statistics around broken down families, probably know a lot of adults where that queer adults, that that's happened because parents have been adamant that they're right and it's just a phase and this is wrong. So that's worst case, one of the worst case, not probably the only one. The other side of it is you're supportive and you don't talk about it being a phase. And then again, your child is able to work through what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. They can come to you and have conversations. They can get your support. They can talk to you about what their concerns are, what their worries are. If they're, you know, curious or confused or, you know, uncertain about things, then they're able to have some conversations with you or at least have some safe and open exploration around their identity because they're not in battle with you to prove themselves to be who they, they've told you that they are and to prove you wrong. The other thing is, like you you mentioned, some some people might, like it, it might be a phase in the sense that someone might come out as bisexual and then later on go, oh, well, actually, no, I'm gay. Someone might come out and say, I'm gay, and then later on say, well, actually, no, I'm trans. Or and then maybe they they say, oh, actually, no, sorry, I'm I'm bi I'm non-binary. You know, like young people go through lots of different phases in their life, and as do older people. Mm-hmm. Like that is mm-hmm. the the description of life, really. So the definition of yeah. life is all phases, but that doesn't mean their identity is a phase. But they but it might be at that that time. But it might just be that they're trying to figure things out. And if, again, if they're in battle with you, they don't have the space to figure it out. If they change, like if they come to you and say something is different to what they have told you already, that might be because they were trying to figure things out or it might be that things have actually just changed. They might have got more information. You know, for and I'm, I mean, that could be learning more things, but, you know, on the, from the outside world, but I'm more talking about they might have more information from within themselves because they've been able to be open and relaxed about it. And so when, when we're open and relaxed, we tend to notice more about what's going on in the inside. If we're highly stressed and fearful, which is often the case for people before they come out, when they're anticipating coming out, it, it kind of puts blinkers on. You're not able to see or feel exactly what's going on on the inside because you're a bit guarded um, and, and there's, you know, other things getting in the way. So when you're able to be open and relaxed and just be yourself and breathe, then more information might come up from within you. And I like that you bring that up about finding internal and external information mm-hmm. about yourself. Because we do, and we don't, you know, when you're younger, you don't have the language and the the context to define some of this stuff. Some of yeah. this is a learning process. Uh, for those of us who are a little older, too, it's also a learning process with all the terminology. Like, as someone mm-hmm. who works in the queer community and is queer, I'm exhausted by all <laughs> the changes in terminology. So where do parents go to get, like, a handle when your kids say, well, I'm gender non-conforming. Like, where do you find out what the hell that means? Yeah, yeah. And because, like you said, you can Google it, but yeah. you don't always get 
100% accurate information from a from a general Google, and sometimes you can get more information than what you were looking for. Um, so, I mean, there, there are services out there. So it depends on where you live. There are definitely services out there that provide resources, you know, healthy, well-informed, accurate resources. I'm, I have the glossary of terms that I provide with pet to parents at any time. I will be putting that in the back of my book as well. One of the things I say to parents, though, is hear what your child is telling you and go with that. You know, do some research and then ask them, what does it mean for you? So when we talk about, like, for example, non-binary, mm-hmm. well, the, the words are pretty obvious. They're like we're not in the binary, not in the two, <laughs> but a non-binary person's experience is very varied. You know, one... One non-binary person's experience is going to be very different to another. And one of the things that I'm really clear, so you're right, there there is a lot of um, shift in the landscape of language and terminology around sexuality and gender identity, and it is hard to keep up. And I have to be honest, I, you know, and I'm working in the space obviously as well, I'm learning things all of the time, but I also don't put pressure on myself to remember every single term or every single word that we use. As long as I'm I have accurate information around the person that I'm speaking to and I'm being respectful of them, then I think that's what's important. So making sure that you I mean I encourage parents to have a basic education. I I actually have a, a really small um little snippet course it's foundations of sexuality and gender identity which can give parents a really clear handle on the basics and then you go from there and really just be curious with your child don't ask them to be your educator don't don't ask them to give you all of the information get some yourself do your own research and then learn more about what their personal experience is and I think that that's so critical because mm-hmm. how each person defines it for themselves can be radically different. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love it. And we don't want to tell people they're wrong. Right. Yeah. You don't want to be a gatekeeper of, no, 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 that's not what lesbian means. I, like, I read it. I Googled that and it did not say that. <laughs> because if you Google it, especially some of the um, newer terms, there will be variations. Some slight, sometimes a bit more broad. I've done two two-hour classes on just how different age groups, races, where you're located in the world, use the term non-binary. Like, yeah. there's an enormous amount of variation in these yeah. newer terms. So, yeah, Absolutely. it's really critical to know how the person's using it. Yeah, you've mentioned your book several times, so let's talk about that for a minute before we, we wrap. <laughs> I'm excited up. So, about this book. I've been working on it all weekend. So, <laughs> tell tell me about this book. Was what's it about? When's it coming out? All that good stuff. Yeah, great. Thank you. So it's it's a book for parents. It's called It's About You Too, and it will hopefully be out by Pride Month. So by June. Fingers crossed, but the clock is ticking and there are some variables that are out of my control. So 
keep your eye out for June. But so basically this book was was born as a result of working with parents who had been told by someone, usually many people, that it's not about you, it's about your child, you have to put your feelings aside and you just have to be there for your child and support them. And I agree that is true. It is about your child and you do have to be there and support them and it is really important. And sometimes that might mean that you put your feelings aside for a moment. However, it is actually about parents too. We can't ask parents to completely separate their feelings, their fears, their worries, their thoughts, their their emotions from their child. We don't do it in any other area of parenting. Like if, if a child becomes, you know, not that I wish this on anyone, but if a child becomes seriously ill and the, the parent comes to us and talks about how they're feeling, we don't say, hey, wait, this isn't about you, this is about your child, you've got to put your feelings aside. We'll support them in that moment if if we have capacity, if that's that's our role and we have the capacity. We'll support them so that they can be more present for their child, so they can actually show up for their child and be supportive and not fall apart or whatever. And the same goes for the opposite end of the scale when, when their child is, um, you know, maybe they're an elite athlete and they're, they've just won a huge competition and the parent's really excited and celebrate. We don't go, hang on a minute, this isn't about you, this is about them, you can't celebrate. We celebrate with them and give them that opportunity to celebrate and then they go back and focus all of their attention on their child, you know, and, and be there for their child. It's exactly the same. We need to allow parents the space to work through all of their stuff so that they can show up for their for their kids 100% supporting them unconditionally loving them and like I want to say I totally get it I understand why people say it and you know it's it's professionals it's other parents it's friends and relatives it's everyone that's saying it it's coming from every angle and I know that those people are very well meaning they have the child's best interests at heart, usually. <laughs> I would hope. But I think that that's the main driver behind it. Mm-hmm. And so their focus is, you know, you we, we need to be there for, for the child. The child needs you, which is 100% true. So mm-hmm. how do we enable the parent to be there for their child? We give them a space on the side <laughs> so that they can work through their stuff. And so that's what the book is. It's all about, you know, talking with parents about going through what their struggles might be, how to manage the overwhelm, exploring beliefs and values and, you know, those outside forces that that can impact the way you're processing your child coming out, talking about the, all the different thoughts and worries and concerns that go through the mind, the emotions that bubble over you know all of those things and then talking about you know how to communicate with their child in a healthier way and and creating that space for themselves so that they can either repair if needed or build a deeper relationship um because i think what often happens if if the parent's not queer there's there can be a little bit of a um 
can be a bit disjointed because then they're like all of a sudden, no, I don't know how to talk about things. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so then communication breaks down in that way. Like it doesn't have to be fighting or anything bad. It can just be breaking down because people are walking on eggshells or being really kind of apprehensive and, and not their natural selves in the family anymore. So we work through all of that kind of stuff so that parents can get to that place where they can, you know, celebrate, you know, embrace and celebrate their child for exactly who they are, which is usually a parent's goal when they have a child. I love that. And it's so necessary because there's not resources out there that walk parents through that. And I love the approach. So, yes, we're, I'm excited for when this comes out. This is going to be great. So if our listeners want to find you, if they want to reach out for your services, if they want to find your handouts and books and online stuff, plug all the things. Okay, thank you. So I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. Indigo Journey 1 is Instagram. Tracy Indigo is Facebook. And I've got a private Facebook group, but you can get that through coming coming to, to um, messaging me on Facebook. And then my website is Indigo Journey. So indigojourney.co, O for orange, no M on the end. <laughs> Yes, yes. And and it's a great website. You have a ton of resources. Thank you for coming on the Thank show. You. This is this has been great information and I look forward to your book coming out. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. We will have all of those resources in our show notes, so feel free to to check out Tracy and all of her work. Thank you. Thanks so much. And now, a moment of gratitude. I am currently grateful. This is going to sound strange. I was thinking about this before um, we got on the call, actually. I'm actually grateful that it, it rained the whole long weekend. So it meant that I spent some, a significant amount of time getting some of those bits and pieces completed in my book because I've got lots of, um, like I'm doing moments of pause and I've got actions in there. So there's lots of different bits and pieces that are, aside from the writing of the content that needed to be done. So I'm grateful for the rain, <laughs> for the miserable weather that allowed me to guilt-free stay home and get some, some um, work done. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.